I have a magic dresser at my house. It's magic. I don't understand. Well, I think I do, but I'm getting ahead of myself. When I get home from work, I will change my clothes. I will put my keys and my glasses and my cell phone and, and my wallet and everything on this magic dresser. And then the next morning when I'm rushing around trying to get ready to come into the office, I can't find any of it. The magic dresser ate it. And so I, I holler out to my wife, I can't find anything. And she's like, oh, here, here's your wallet, here's your glasses, here's your keys, here's your cell phone. I'm like, where did you find this? And she said, oh, I, I found it where it belongs. So maybe it's not magic after all. She comes back behind me and she takes my, my cell phone and puts it on the charger on the desk. She hangs up my keys on the key hook. I, did I tell you she's my amazing grace? <laughs> she, she puts my wallet uh, by my bed and my glasses by the, by the bed. They're where they belong. Maybe I get a little lazy and just want everything in one place. Why do I tell you this story? Well, I think the Pharisees in today's lesson had something of the same experience. It was their job to know and uphold the law as they did, and they did their job very well. They had all the answers. They knew their theology was where it was supposed to be, or so they thought. It was exactly where they put it. It's comforting to have your theology in a safe place, isn't it? It feels good to know exactly what your theology is and where to find your answers. Jesus came to change all that. Jesus shook things up, not just a bit, but a whole lot. He put things in the power of God's in the proper God perspective. He put everything in the proper God perspective where they belong. But it's not at all where the Pharisees expected to find them. Jesus came to bring spiritual sight to the blind and blindness to those who think they can see. And so now we're going to continue on with the rest of this verse that, uh, that Mike started to read. In verse 39 of John 9, Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? It's a fair question. Surely we're not blind, are we? The disciples were walking with the Savior when they saw this dirty, blind man sitting at the gate in ragged clothing, begging for money. The author of this passage didn't even think to give the man a name. Did you notice that? He was just the blind beggar. Everyone in the town knew that he was born blind from birth. Most of the time, people would walk on by. Sometimes, every once in a while, someone would come by and 
drop a few coins in his little bucket. But mostly, people would just look at him with an indignant look and then look the other way and walk on. The disciples asked Jesus as they walked by, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or their parents or his parents? What caused him to be blind? They were trying to figure out where to put this piece of theology. That's where, you know, we're trying to figure it out. You see, their theology and the way they thought was right where they wanted it to be, somewhere between the man sinning or his parents sinning, but it had to have been one of the two. And scripture tells us that as Jesus walked along, he saw the blind man, the man blind from birth. Jesus didn't just look at the man as everyone else did. Jesus didn't just see an unnamed, blind, dirty beggar. He saw the man. He saw the man for who he is, beloved of God. Jesus saw the man's need. He saw the man's pain. He saw the man's heart. Jesus saw that nobody, what nobody else was willing to look deep enough to see. Jesus knew this man's name, and he took compassion on him. Jesus' response in verse 3 must have shocked his closest friends. Neither this man or his parents sinned. Then Jesus stooped down, spit on the ground, and put clay in the man's eyes and told him to wash in the pool of Siloam. And his sight was restored. And his disciples, I can just hear them, the disciples saying, we're not blind, are we? The blind man had nothing to lose. He had no preconceived ideas of who Jesus was. He didn't have anything to prove. So he obeyed, and he received his physical sight. Conversely, the Pharisees had a lot to lose. This healing was not supposed to happen, you see, at least not to this man. Surely there were other more worthy people to receive healing than this man. He was just simply the wrong man. Then there was Jesus. Somehow he had some sort of connection that they didn't have. God should have used someone more holy, more pious, more religious to perform this miracle. Instead, this miracle was performed by a sinner who broke the Sabbath. Did you catch that? He broke the Sabbath, by the way, by getting down and kneading. He spit on the ground and he kneaded the, 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 the clay. That's how he broke the Sabbath. Yeah, Jesus was the wrong healer. The Pharisees were left in a pickle. You see, the wrong man was saved by the wrong Savior on the wrong day. To the Pharisees, there was only one of many scenarios at play here. Either the blind man wasn't really blind to begin with, or Jesus was a sinful sorcerer, or perhaps Jesus was indeed the Son of God. Scripture tells us in verse 16 that the Pharisees were so confused 
that they were divided over the whole matter, and they asked Jesus, Surely we're not blind, are we? Most of you know I did an internship at Hughley Hospital, South Fort Worth. Uh, spent uh, about two years there in that hospital as a chaplain, training uh, and also helping. And I had the opportunity to work with the residents in the behavioral health unit. I would try to teach spirituality, and people kept getting up and walking away. <laughs> it was a strange thing. But they would come back with their Bibles. And they would share wonderful and fantastic things that God had done for them, miracles, stories, and how God had worked in their lives. One told a story of how God intervened when she was late for an appointment and miraculously made all the lights green so she could make it on time. There were stories of lost keys found because of people uh, because of prayer, sick pets were made well, rain stopped long enough to get people from the car to the church, and vehicles miraculously started working through the power of prayer. None of that worked with my embedded theology. I really had a difficult time with that. After all, I was an intelligent and very well-versed scholarly person at Bright Divinity School. I know better. Surely I'm not blind, am I? I believe this man who received a sight by Jesus received more than phys a physical sight that day that he encountered Jesus. He received spiritual sight as well. It's a curious thing that Jesus disappears right after he tells the man to wash the mud off his eyes in the pool of Siloam. I bet he had somebody lead him there. He had to have had somebody lead him there, a friend, like we had with the children's time. And Jesus didn't reappear until this man was kicked out of the synagogue. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, the Pharisees expelled this man from the synagogue and with that, he lost all the privileges that came with it. The man defended Jesus and couldn't understand why the Pharisees could not see his new sight as a good thing. Several times, the man told his testimony. He told his encounter with this man, Jesus. He put mud in my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. He said that several times. How many more times do I have to tell you? He put up mud on my eyes, then I washed, now I see. Finally, the man just had enough, and now we're going to finish out this chapter. The man had enough, and listen to this boldness, starting in verse 24. The Pharisees said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know I was blind, and now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered him, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? 
Do you also want to be a Jesus follower? <laughs> Just sticking that knife in there. Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, nor does he listen to one who worships him, and, uh, but, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you're trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Then Jesus enters the scene. He always shows up at the right time. Jesus enters the scene, and listen to this tender, tender interaction between Jesus and this man, starting in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, did you catch that? When he found him, when Jesus found the man. See, Jesus pursues us. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I might believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you've seen him. You have seen him, and the one speaking to you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Here's my question today. What things are blinding us from seeing Jesus for who he really is? What things are blinding us from seeing other people the way God sees them? What things are blinding us from seeing the world the way God wants us to see the world. You know, we've been, we've all become so comfortable that we don't see things the way Jesus sees them. We go to church every Sunday. Maybe we have a, what would Jesus do, bumper sticker on our car. We're good Christians. We go to the right church. We belong to the right political party. We even wear a cross around our neck. We have all the answers. Surely, we're not blind, are we? Let us pray. Loving God, yes, we are blind. And it's so easy for us to settle in to the way we think things should go. We beg the Holy Spirit to come within us. We beg for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that we can see things through your eyes, God, so that we can become tender and loving and Christ-like.
Fill us with your light so that we can be salt and light to the world. God, as I'm praying here today, I'm aware that there are people watching online and there are people here in this congregation that are dealing with difficult things in life. And God, right now and right here, I want to create some space for each person watching online, each person here, to bring their petitions to your feet. God, in your mercy, hear our prayers. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.